everybody. Welcome back to the May edition of the Focal Point Podcast. Um, today we are doing Behind the Column. I'm here with uh, Peter Orsak, our managing editor. Hey guys. Uh, and today we have three new guests. Uh, new editor-in-chief for the 2021-2022 uh, Remarker newspaper, uh, Austin Williams. He'll be talking to me about um, his love of podcasts and and why he chooses to spend so much time listening to him. Um, and Peter will be talking to EK and myself. Yeah, me and Toby, uh, we talked about his love for movie theaters and how he hopes that they stick around. And uh, me and EK uh, talked about um, a pressing issue for photojournalists all across Texas. Yeah, cool. So we've got a good uh, slated for you guys. Hope you enjoy um, and we'll see you in a bit. Let's get right into it. This is a global telling prepaid call from Adnan Sayed, an inmate at the Maryland Correctional Facility. That's how my favorite podcast ever opens. A creepy, distorted, automated prison message unique to every episode of This American Life Serial, Season 1. That message is overlaid with an iconic piano chord theme that sets the very tone of the podcast. It's nostalgia-inducing for me. I discovered it in 2016, nearly five years ago. Almost a third of my life has passed since then. The way the theme makes me feel is hard to put into words. It's sharp and intense, very much in contrast to narrator Sarah Koenig's smooth voice. The podcast itself is like a true crime novel. That's what captured me. Each episode, more is revealed about an old murder case in a distinctively journalistic style. Adnan Syed, the prisoner in the intro, is the chief suspect, and we get to hear from him firsthand. One of my other favorites, Incongruity's Sword and Scale, uses a similar style of empirical storytelling to capture the listener. Short clips of 911 call recordings and real court hearings are interspersed with emotion-filled interviews and detailed narration. What's fascinating about podcasts is that I've just described an extremely specific genre. Much like in music, there's something for everybody, from celebrity talk shows to political debates. I began my journey with nerdy tech coverage, The Verge cast from TheVerge.com and Lifehacker's The Upgrade. These discussion-based episodes satisfied my interest in the new iOS software and broke my confusion about net neutrality. As I grew older, I discovered the lighthearted world of comedy podcasts. I would spend days riding my cool gray Trek bicycle along Reading Trail in Addison, listening to Ethan and Ela of the H3 podcast as they laughed endlessly with their unique guests. Eventually, I stumbled upon my current go-to the Joe Rogan experience. Even those not well-versed in podcasts will recognize that name. A bald-headed comedian-turned-podcast host, Rogan provides a down-to-earth perspective on his shows that feature highly specialized geniuses. At this point, I've listened to 
40 of his episodes, three hours long apiece. I could write a dissertation on my favorite guests, but I'll keep it short and fill you in on just a few. Jocko Willink is one of my dad's favorite people in the world. We've got two pounds of his milk protein powder in the cupboard, and his episodes with Rogan are nothing short of inspiring. As a retired Navy SEAL officer, he preaches the importance of discipline as a, pl- as a path to success. In the same vein, the toughest man alive, David Goggins, has completed more than 60 ultramarathons and endured two Navy SEAL hell weeks. His story is fascinating. I've also pursued my interest in particle physics through famous scientists like Neil deGrasse Tyson and Brian Cox which has allowed me to stump Mr. Karen with my questions about the Higgs particle and gauge symmetry. He says he's just not up to date on modern physics. I'm still ever in awe of Elon Musk and his unique intellectual comments about how our future will look. But enough examples. My point is that there's something for everyone in the podcast world. Type your favorite smart person's name into the Spotify search bar. And I'm sure you'll find something hypnotizing to listen to. Give it a try. It's a great switch up for whatever music you've had on repeat for the last year and a half. Austin Williams. He's my former issues brother, the new remarker editor-in-chief and journalist extraordinaire. How you doing, Austin? I'm great. You're over complimentary. No. Well, it's all those are all true statements. Journalist extraordinaire sounds like a stretch, but I'll take it. Well, is it not true? This is true. I'm trying to be humble. Uh, well, we're here to talk about podcasts, um, and we're on a podcast. So what's it feel like being on the other side of that instead of just listening to a podcast, finally being on one? It's awesome. It's a dream, dude. It's a dream. It's a dream. Why is it a dream? I don't know. Oh, you spend so much time like consuming podcasts. It's like if you were to make your own music when you're a music lover, it's like the best of both worlds. You ever thought about doing a podcast on your own? Um, I've thought about it. Maybe when I'm older. Um, how come when you're older? Why not now? Uh, I'm busy, man. It's cool that you guys run the show. Oh, we're glad to. It's a fun thing, yeah. You know? Um, getting to like talk to people, especially I like about things that they've they've done. Like talking to you about your your column is cool. We get to like sit down and read something and then uh, talk one on one, and uh, obviously. To our listeners, Austin will be on here a couple more times next year, um, as he'll he'll be a pretty active uh, voice, I'm sure, um, through editorials and in columns um, in our opinions section. Um, but yeah, it's it's cool to get to talk to people on, on staff. We also have a couple more people who uh, our listeners haven't heard from yet. The uh, the smart uh, Axel E. Calls Balseta. He's running our uh, opinions uh, section this year. Um, fantastic writer we haven't heard from will yet um so yeah we're we're uh we've got a lot of cool people so thanks for coming on uh you say in your column that you started listening to podcasts about three years ago what specifically grabbed about grabbed you about podcasts in particular that like causes you to keep pressing play over and over again 
I think it was five actually. Five years ago. Sixteen, I think is what I wrote. But um my dad has always been into podcasts. That's kind of how I got into it. He always like if I come downstairs, he's sitting at the dinner table looking at his phone with headphones and listening to a podcast. So he sort of inspired me, gone through like a million different podcast apps. Overcast was a good one, Pocket Casts, and now I'm on Spotify. Um, what inspires me to keep pressing play? You know, sometimes you get bored of music and a podcast is definitely like a, a, a good switch up. Is, is music just get old for you because like it's a shorter format or what? No, you just listen to music too much. I listen to a lot of music. So even though my like songs have like 1500, uh, eventually they get overplayed and you want to switch it up. Yeah, for sure. And you also talk about like the variety of, uh, podcasts that there are. Is that like also because how long they are and how many they're different kinds there are, is that why they're like kind of interesting to, to, to you over music? Um, yeah, yeah, definitely. Cool. Um, well you open your column, uh, with a description of this American life and incongruity, um, two podcasts that you've enjoyed listening to and go on to talk about the wide range of podcasts that exist from comedy to tech coverage and a podcast that's kind of a different kind of podcast in itself, which is the Joe Rogan experience. Um, is there something about Joe Rogan's personality or mannerism? and his down-to-earth conversation that you mentioned that appeals to you specifically? There's something about how he is sort of like your, well, I'm trying to not make this sound offensive. He's like your sort of stereotypical, like semi-dumb guy. So when he has like really, really smart people on the show, he's like acting as your proxy for like understanding things that just don't make any sense. Hmm. So he'll, he's very quick to like, if someone explains something in a confusing way, um, he'll ask them to explain it in a much more simple way so that he understands it. And then the listener understands it. Hmm. Have you found yourself? Cause obviously you do a lot of interviews for the newspaper. Have you found yourself like emulating any of his interview habits at all? I watched a funny YouTube video actually about like why Joe Rogan is such a good conversationalist. And one of the things he does is like laugh really easily and that's like a good way to like make someone comfortable with you. So that that's something you can definitely employ in an interview. Hmm. Uh, got to switch up here. Is there, are there any podcasts that you've been meaning to try that you've, you've heard good things about, but that you haven't like uh, just gotten around to listening to yet? That is a good question. Let me look right now. Yeah, I haven't listened to a lot of our new end zone podcasts. I've listened to one or two and I've been meaning to listen to more of those. So that's Gotta a, get to a, a shout out to William Aniel and his team. The legend. Um, I've been meaning to listen to that podcast that I opened the column with again, just because it's been so long. Like after five years, I'm sure I don't remember exactly what happened. So I think that would be really good. This American Life also makes like a, a different podcast called S Town. Mm. It's like a similar, like journalistic, like firsthand theme where they like talk to people and explore like a like a crime case. Mm. Is there something that draws you to like those 
that there's that kind of intrigue that I think I noticed you like kind of like when you're listening to podcasts. Is there like something that draws you to that more than like? It's definitely reminiscent of like a good book, but it's just a whole nother level because you're hearing from real people that are like actually experiencing these things. So it's like a it's like a fiction novel like unfolding yeah. in real life with like the nine one one calls are always really strange, surreal to listen to. And then the, the court hearings, you don't, that's just not something you interact with on a, in a normal life. No. Yeah. And does that, does that like the interest for like real life things, does that like translate to other mediums? Like, do you like similar kinds of movies or TV shows? Yeah, definitely. Um, it goes more towards books. I really enjoyed Matterhorn that we read at the start of this year, which is like a like a mix between a fiction and a nonfiction book yeah. about the Vietnam War, where the actual story is fictional, but the author actually fought in the war, so he's like like telling the story almost out of memory from what he yeah. witnessed. So it, it's honestly Matterhorn's pretty similar in that respect. So you. you you're very much into storytelling, I guess. Definitely. And like, obviously we have a lot more like free time this summer. We're in the, the final stages of our junior year. Do you have like anything that you, you really want to like read or, or watch or listen to over the summer? Um, read. It's been a while since I've read something outside of school, but there are definitely books that I could find um watch i can't think of any movies off the top of my head definitely going to be listening to a lot of podcasts and a lot of music okay cool um and then last question uh you talk about some of your like favorite guests um on the joe reagan experience in your column uh but you also mentioned that there are some that you just didn't have space to go into are there any that you want to kind of elaborate on here uh that you just didn't get the chance to to recommend in the paper Okay. Yes, definitely. Let me look through my downloads. Oh, here's a good one. I referenced Mr. Karen in my column, but one of the podcasts that I specifically asked him about was a feature on the Joe Rogan experience with Bob Lazar and Jeremy Corbell. And Bob Lazar is basically like a physicist that like was hired basically by the government in New Mexico. And he claims that they took him to this crazy place where they had like a bunch of like physics breaking stuff that apparently has crashed into the earth. Like some weird, like gravity defying technology that supposedly, right. The government is hiding from us. And it's, it, it is definitely a bit of a conspiracy theory, but the guy is so like outspoken and, and like, he doesn't clearly like he isn't like trying to tell a story like he's he's making this up so that he's going to become famous it seems like he's he's hesitant obviously that could be a show that he's putting on right but that was like super 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 interesting to even consider that you know like crazy alien stuff has crashed onto the earth that defies physics and we don't know about it yeah it was there isn't that that there was like that thing on the the internet a little while ago. Like everybody wanted to break into Area Fifty One or something like that. It's almost like that. It's like a it's like an Area Fifty One that he used to work at. 
a really interesting one was this guy called Naval Ravikon. He is like an author, but he had so much stuff to say about money and like long-term investment versus like short-term investment and like how to how to build wealth basically instead of like just making money. That was a super interesting episode. I watched it a while ago, so it's going to be hard for me to put what he said into words, but there was so much like valuable advice packed into that episode. Hmm. And do you, I mean, do you find yourself, because obviously there's like, there's a lot of, there's a wide range of people that are like on these podcasts. Do you find that like you, you implement the things that you've learned from the podcast into your life more often than before you started listening to, to Rogan? A hundred percent. A lot of the physics stuff that I hear actually, funnily enough, will come up in class. Like Neil deGrasse Tyson will talk about something totally random. Like there was an AP physics question recently about like if there was a hole like drilled through the entire earth and you dropped a ball through that hole, what would it do? And he was talking about how basically it would fall through to the center with increasing speed or whatever, reach a terminal velocity. And then it would eventually just zigzag back and forth between the like top and bottom sides of the hole because gravity doesn't just like stop it at the middle. Like it, it's accelerating all the way until the core and then it starts decelerating, but it has so much velocity already that um, it just goes back and forth in harmonic motion forever forever so that was that was a good one yeah probably be able to use that in real life too yeah in case you ever need to drill a hole okay well (laughs) uh anything else that you want to add about podcasts i know uh you talk a lot you recommend them to to the people who read and i guess maybe to the people who listen do you have any last points about that podcast in general Uh, why they're important to listen to? I don't know. Go listen to a wide variety of people. There are so many like geniuses that are on the Joe Rogan experience and just on podcasts in general. And there's literally always something to learn from, from one of them. Cool. All right. Well, thanks for being on Austin. Uh, We are looking forward to a good year of podcasts next year. Um, Hopefully we can have you on uh, several more times. I'm sure that, you, like I said, will be on here for the columns that you write. So thank you guys all for listening. We're going to move on to our next guest now. Watching Dwayne Johnson's Rampage at AMC North Park was the best audiovisual experience of my life. Without a doubt, my enjoyment of Rampage well surpassed that of Citizen Kane, generally hailed as one of the greatest cinematic masterpieces in the history of film. It was definitely not because Rampage was a good movie. In fact, I probably couldn't tell you a single detail of the plot, other than that The Rock plays a scientist, is friends with a giant white gorilla, and has muscles that made me look at my biceps self-consciously but it's still the greatest time I've ever had watching a film. 
all because of the brilliance of the modern movie theater. My friend Elijah Baker and I walked into North Park early that sunny afternoon in 8th grade, completely unsure of what movie we were going to watch. There was nothing we particularly wanted to see when we made plans over the phone. We considered ourselves excellent improvisers and figured we would just see what AMC was offering. When we reached the theater, we faced three options. Truth or Dare, some cheesy horror movie, Beirut, another John Hand thriller, and Rampage. Rampage appealed to us immediately. Its glorious movie poster depicted The Rock and his typical too-heroic-to-look-terrified smolder, seemingly saying, Don't worry about the five-story tall silverback in the background. I've got this under control. So with little more consideration, we bought the tickets at the kiosks and rode up the escalator to the concession stand. I went with a well-rounded meal, a large pack of Twizzlers, a sparkling red four-liter Coke, and a large bucket of popcorn for us to share during the movie. Fully ready for the promises of Rampage, we walked into the theater, sat in our seats just a little bit right of the middle, and began the feast that would eventually cost our parents thousands in dental fees. About two hours later, Elijah and I walked out of the theater floating on air. I don't remember if it was the sugar rush, the adrenaline the movie gave us, or our irrational belief that we, too, could someday be as muscular as The Rock, but we felt like action heroes. The movie was forgettable. The experience was not. It's disappointing to me that we seem to be losing a, as great a cultural institution as the movie theater. In 2020 alone, there was a $9 billion decrease in movie ticket sales in the United States, mostly because of COVID-19. In January, AMC only avoided bankruptcy after investors funneled in $917 million. This trend started a while ago. Interest in attending movies in person has been waning for years, and when the pandemic made us all stay inside, the movie theater business took a serious blow. It's not 2020 anymore, though. Our social lives are opening back up. Our whole lives are opening back up. And if we're not careful, the movie theater won't stick around for much more of it, especially with how much we've adapted our lives to function without physical interaction this past year. We're losing all kinds of in-person social opportunities, and our window to go watch films together is dwindling. All of us have fond memories at the movie theater, times we've spent exploring another world, times we've laughed with our friends and loved ones, times we've gotten goosebumps at an unexpected plot twist. Ten years down the road, we'll still want to make these memories. To make that happen, we need to make new ones as soon as we can all get back to the ticket counter. My co-host of the Focal Point Podcast for next year, Toby Barrett. Um, so first off, Toby, how are you doing today? I'm doing well. We're uh, nearing the end of finals. Uh, I'm really excited to get to summer. Yeah. Any big plans? Uh, just getting out of the house more. I usually travel a lot during the summer. So uh, obviously that was not possible last summer, but excited to do that this summer. Great. Okay. So let's get right into it. Um, First off, how did you come up with the idea for this column and uh, why did you decide to put pen to paper and actually write it? Uh, well, like before the pandemic, going to movies was like half of what I did on the weekends. Um, I was I probably held up half of the movie industry before everything shut down just because I, I spent so much money there. <laughs> um, and after we had to stay inside, I kind of like 
I kind of missed it. Like I, uh, I still do. I haven't been to movies since, uh, like February of last year. So, um, yeah, now as everything's opening back up, um, and we, we get to choose where we go now, I thought it would be you know, a good thing to make a case, uh, like the title it says, uh, for the new movie theater for us to all, uh, get back there. Great. Um, so you started your column off by calling the movie Rampage, starring Dwayne The Rock Johnson, quote, the greatest audio visual experience of your life. Um, some powerful words. What about this film in particular made your movie going experience so spectacular? Well, that might have been a, an exaggeration uh, to emphasize my point. Uh, <laughs> but uh, I guess what it made it so, I mean, I, uh, it was really exciting. It was a really exciting movie. Uh, like I said, it was forgettable. Like it was the most like stereotypical action movie ever, but it was like something about like that, that Saturday, um, something about like having way too much sugar that just made it like, seem way better than it was. Uh, I think like actually being in the movie theater and like having all these like kids that are like four years younger than me, like get super hype about it. That also got me super hype about it. So the whole atmosphere was just like, uh, I think really exciting and fun for whatever reason. Yeah. There's something about those, uh, rock movies that are just spectacular. Yeah. Words. Um, <laughs> okay. So, um, like you talked about in your column, uh, with the rise of, uh, Netflix and Hulu and other digital streaming services, uh, there's questions around, um, the, the movie theater, the in-person movie, uh, what value does the movie theater have in today's world? Um, well, I think most of its value now is not like in the quality of the movie. I think, now it's more in the social aspect of it. Um, Cause like another comparison you could make is like, is like food. Like you can have food delivered to you, but you also like want to go out and eat food. It's part of like doing something that makes it so special. And obviously like the quality of like streaming and Hulu and Netflix is all great. And maybe sometimes like you get things exclusively from Netflix and Hulu, but the same goes for going outside and going to movie theaters. So I think it's a really valuable part of like how, especially as like kids, I think maybe not so much adults, but as kids, I think movie theaters are like a really important way for us to get out and socialize. So some might argue that the convenience of these streaming services outweighs the benefits of watching a movie in theaters. Uh, in what ways is the experience of a modern movie theater and, you know, the, the speaker, the surround sound, all of that better than maybe sitting in your living room watching Netflix? I guess that really depends on like the setup you have at home. I mean, obviously, I think the picture is probably going to be better in the movie theater just because the screen is massive. But, um, and maybe the speakers too. But convenience-wise, like you said, I mean, obviously, the streaming is, is always going to be more convenient. Um, and And obviously you don't go to a movie theater every single time you want to watch a movie. Cause that would be kind of a waste of money and, um, and are just not like convenient. Uh, but again, it's, it's like this, this, the social part of, of movies that really makes them kind of invaluable. So, uh, yeah, I, I loved reading your column. I loved hearing you passionately describe, uh, your movie experience in detail. Uh, would you call yourself an avid movie fan? Oh uh, yeah, I, I would. Um, especially during the summer, I watch movie like every other day. Um, I don't know. I just, wow. I, 
I used to read a lot, but then I, I got lazy. So I prefer having someone give the story to me than having to read it myself. Yeah, I agree with you on that one. Uh, what kind of movies do you like to watch? Uh, mostly comedies. Um, I think I've maybe developed from my eighth grade days of watching Rampage. I think I can look back on it now and understand that it wasn't a very good movie. But uh, yeah, I'd say like comedies mostly. And uh, sometimes I'll throw in like a serious movie or two. Like I saw Shawshank Redemption this year. Just like good. What's your favorite if you had to pick? Serious movie or just movie in general? Just movie in general, whatever you like. Dang. I think... I think the best made movie I've ever seen is probably Goodwill Hunting um, with Affleck and uh, Matt Damon and uh, Robin Williams. Probably just because really good acting, really good story. It's well shot. So, yeah, probably Goodwill Hunting. Okay, that's a good one. I've never uh, seen it myself, but I know it's highly acclaimed. Um, Yes. In your in your column, you mentioned you were disappointed to see a, de- a decline in interest for movie theaters, and you know see some big companies like like AMC struggling to stay afloat. Um, do you feel like after the pandemic is completely over, theaters will be able to make a complete comeback, or do you see this as a trend that is uh, irreversible? Um, I don't know. Um, I, th- I think it's kind of like. It's it might just be irreversible because we've seen like similar businesses like running out video games like Blockbuster. Blockbuster's just gone by the wayside because there's no reason to go to Blockbuster anymore. Um, I think the only reason that it would stay open is if there are more releases that are exclusively in theaters because a lot of like a lot of movie. Um, releasers like film studios have started uh, releasing them to the streaming services because it's easier to make money that way. More people will see it and the streaming services will pay more for it. Um, but like during the pandemic, obviously, but if they transition to in-person um, movie theaters might bring in more revenue, especially in places like, like rampage, for example, it's primary audience was actually China. It wasn't the United States um, just because of, the population there and um, how much people gross over it. So is that how you say it? I don't know. But I think if, if, if it does make a comeback, it would be because um, the film studios are making more money in person um, than on streaming services. Yeah. Yeah. I agree. I I hope they're able to make a complete uh, comeback uh, after the pandemic's over. Um, so to wrap up your column, you, you sort of ended it with a call to action um, saying it's time to go back. Why do you feel so passionately about preserving uh, movie theaters? Uh, I mean, it's just kind of like I said, like I've, I've spent a lot of time in movie theaters in my life um, and I hate to see them go. Um, I think, like, like I said, it's very valuable uh, experience for a lot of us. And um, I'd like to like, I know still be able to go to movies in 10 years or 15 years with like my children. I don't know if I'll have children in 15 years, but like I still want to go. Uh, I think everyone else will. If we lose it, it's going to be something that we look back on and we're going to be like, wow, sucks that we lost that. So yeah, I think it's really on us to go back out there and um, make sure they stay afloat because they're not going to just stay there and, and wait for us. We need to, we need to support them.
Okay. Well, this is great. I have one final question. Um, if you could have seen any movie uh, in person in a movie theater, uh, what what would that be like? What movie do you think would be put over the top with that with that social and uh, uh, experience? Um, I don't know because, well, since I saw Rampage, I saw Avengers Endgame, which is like the most hype movie ever, or like highest grossing ever. So I don't know if there's a movie that would top that, but I guess like I would see probably like the second Star Wars, I think, because that was like a super hype movie in the 70s. Um, it's, a, it's the best of the original three. So I'd probably go back and watch that one. Yeah, that would be that would be great. Uh, I'm not a big Star Wars fan myself. Uh, uh, I know that probably makes some of our listeners not too happy, but uh, <laughs> I'm, I'm sure it's great. Uh, just not for me. Okay. Well, thanks for sitting down with me, Toby. Um, I really enjoyed, like I said, your column and, you know, I'm looking forward to this next year of running the podcast together. We have some great plans in place and, uh, yeah, thanks for sitting down with me. Yes, sir. Thank you. Reporting on the media seems redundant, I guess. Unfortunately, coverage hasn't been getting enough coverage lately. Unknown to the average citizen, Texas law prohibits the use of drones for, quote, surveillance. That's the actual term they use in this written law, surveillance. Somehow, Texas lawmakers and officers take this term to include or signify news gathering thereby finding cause to not just prohibit drone use in photojournalism, but also to enforce fines, suits, and jail time. Journalists in the state of Texas are severely restricted when it comes to aerial photography, something many journalists around the country depend on to understand, analyze, and facilitate news to the public, to you. Recently, a group decided to fight this by arguing against the constitutionality of the law, claiming it infringes on the First Amendment rights of Americans, unduly restricting the media's ability to obtain and distribute information. You've heard about the egregious violations of a nation's freedom of speech, the violent and unfiltered atrocities committed by powerful leaders to suppress their constituents, and the spread of defiant thoughts to maintain control. But in today's world, in your world, violations of your First Amendment right to free speech take a different form, something which the same average citizen wouldn't even realize. It's the kind of law and restriction that can have profound but covert impact on your life without you even taking notice. We talk about our rights a lot at St. Mark's, and we talk about positively changing the world even more often. But as high school students, very rarely do we actually get the opportunity to understand and act on how we feel the state government should respect citizens. The Media Freedom and Information Access, MIFIA, clinic at Yale Law School and Public Justice on behalf of the National Press Association, NPPA, 
The Texas Press Association and an independent photojournalist are prosecutors for this case. The foundation of their case lies in the idea that no matter how seemingly insignificant of an infringement, a violation of Americans' rights is a violation nonetheless, especially in a situation like this, in which the consequences of such an infringement have far-reaching effects unknown to the general public. It's our job to cover coverage. Last December, a federal court in Austin denied Texas's request to dismiss the lawsuit for lack of stated claim. Though this is undoubtedly a win, not enough people understand the gravity of this situation. By not spreading the facts of this case and the injustice being done by the state of Texas, we enact the same injustice upon ourselves. It's time to speak up. How are you doing? I'm doing great, Peter. How are you? Doing great. Just uh, dealing with finals and stuff like that. So, last day of school today felt good. Played a lot of spike ball oh, and basketball. Great. So oh, that's great. Going. Okay, so I'll get right into the questions. Um, so first off, I, I really enjoyed reading your column. Uh, it was something we talked about behind the scenes while planning out the paper, and I immediately fell in love with the idea. Um, so, so why did you decide to write this column? So I feel like this issue of these restrictions being placed by the state on photojournalists, severe restrictions that hamper their abilities uh, to, to, to present news to the public uh, severely, I feel like this is a really big issue and something that's not talked about nearly as much as it should be. If I went up to someone at St. Mark's, any high school student, any average person on the street, you wouldn't you wouldn't know this. You would you wouldn't know that this is happening, that this huge battle is being fought, um, that 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 people are standing up to this injustice um, that's being enacted on every single one of us, uh, and and especially every single one of us photojournalists by Chapter Four Twenty Three in Texas law. So I feel like that was something I really had to bring to light. That was something that I had to foster a conversation about in my community. And I feel like that's that 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 repealing that 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 section of the law is, or or making exceptions for photojournalists is something that's that that's very very important. Yeah. So you you got into this in, uh, in your column and you kind of touched on it right there. But can you kind of walk us through what this piece of Texas legislation prohibits? Sure. So this is Chapter Four Twenty Three in Texas legislation, and the exact wording that it uses is it. Uh, restricts, uh, quote, intent to conduct surveillance. And that's a phrase that's not defined in the statute and is vague enough to include most news gathering activities and restrict legitimate freedom of speech. So this, this, this chapter completely prevents, completely prevents photojournalists and, and journalists and photographers in general from using drones to capture news gathering images. So there was one example, there was, there, was a, there was a journalist who needed to get images for his article on a fire that occurred in South Texas that killed six people. Yeah. But he couldn't do that because he was threatened by the police and the police talked to him about violating that law and how that would result in fines, possible jail time, and all this, and all these, all these other suits that he just couldn't deal with. So he couldn't, he couldn't use his drone to cover that footage, something that's to, to cover that event, something that's so important to bring to the people. 
Yeah, exactly. I mean, this law, it's, it's, being, it's being fought by the NPPA, the National Press Photographers Association, um, and a couple other entities. It's being fought legally uh, in, in an attempt to get, to get repealed because, frankly, it, 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 it's, a, it's, it's a harsh uh, obstruction of constitutionality. Great. Okay. So, um, as a photographer yourself, do you have any experience, uh, with using drones or is that something, uh, you're interested in getting into? Drone photography is something that I'm currently getting into. I don't own a drone yet, but I've started looking into some and do want to invest in one. But this problem is mostly significant to me, not because of my own personal experience with the drones, but rather with but rather because of the personal experience with, uh, with, with these restrictions that so many other photojournalists across Texas have. Like this is something that's super important that drone photography is something that's super important that photojournalists all over the state need to be able to do. And this law is severe and this law completely restricts that. And, and, and that needs to be changed. Yeah, I completely agree. Um, so in your column, you compared this form of suppression to that of other uh, violations of the First Amendment in the past. Uh, why do you feel so strongly uh, against this state law? I feel so strongly against this state law because it's one of the means that the state uses to, 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 to suppress free speech that isn't nearly as well known as it should be. So in my column, I talked about all of these egregious infractions of, 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 of freedom of speech that people have done by the government. But this is something that goes almost completely under the radar, something that, that, that absolutely should not because it is that big of a deal, in my opinion. It is that big of a deal because without free speech, who are we really? And, 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 and we, need to, we need to emphasize that. We need to share that. And... We need to get that changed. Okay. So um, we talked about this during our editorial board meeting, um, but you might, you might have more insight into the, the specifics of the court case. Um, so what, what, is the, what is the drive from uh, the state to keep this um, law in, in place? Could you, like, repeat that question? Yeah. What, what, why, do, why does the state, um, like, want to keep this law uh, in, in place? Uh, is there... Is there a certain reason? Are they protecting a certain group from anything? Or because this seems like a, a clear violation of you know First Amendment rights. Uh, why why do they why do they want to keep it in place? So personally, I'm not sure why they want to keep it in place, but they fought against it vehemently in court. Um, they recently lost. Uh, they, they they recently claimed the state recently claimed that the suit had no purpose, no state no stated purpose. Um, and tried to get it thrown out, um, but that was rejected by the court. But that was rejected by 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 the court, and was a big win. And was a big win, like I say in my column for the NPPA and photojournalists. Um, this law actually makes exceptions for a bunch of commercial entities, even though it's even even though it specifically states that the that drone images and drone photography can't be used for 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 commercial purposes it makes more than 21 exemptions um including for oil and gas uh agribusiness uh, real estate um all this other stuff but it doesn't make that exception for photojournalists um i'm not sure why the state is fighting so vehemently and i feel like this is a topic and something that needs to be then and, and this is a topic and discussion 
that we should all be on the same side about. There's no reason. This, I mean, it's a, it's in the way I see it, it's a very clear infraction of freedom of speech of, of, of the Texan people. And I'm surprised that the government doesn't see the same way. Yeah. Um, so like you just mentioned, uh, the federal court uh, denied the state's attempt to uh, dismiss this lawsuit. Uh, do you have any updates on how the case is uh, currently going? So since then, there haven't been any major developments. That was pretty recent in December, I believe. Um, since then, there haven't been many major developments, but, um, but I'm keeping tabs on it and I'm, and, I'm, and I'm seeing what's happening and talking to people about it. So you ended your column with a, with a call to action, telling our readers, quote, it's time to speak up. Um, how can we as individuals you know, help uh, photojournalists everywhere? So this is a suit that's being fought by, that's being prosecuted by a huge entity, the NPPA. So although we as students can't do anything directly to help them win that suit, what we can do is spread awareness about this. What we can do is spread awareness about this topic so that photojournalists and, 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 and journalists all over the state are not hampered by this law and are, and are, and are not unduly, uh, and are not unduly restricted by it. So talking about this with our peers, talking about this with our parents, with our friends, with anybody, with anybody that we can raises awareness for it. And hopefully that'll create a more, a greater community outcry for this. And in the end, provide support for this case, uh, for, the, for, for, for the NPPA's case to succeed and for this law to be repealed. Yeah, that's great. Um, so I know, I know you have your, your uh, series of photography based around borders. Um, and I think, uh, you know, using a drone for those shots could be, could be very uh, useful, especially along um, like the, the Texas-Mexican border. Um, you would be prohibited from that. Uh, is, is that something you're thinking about doing, like continuing um, your borders uh, series with, with drones? That's definitely something I've thought about in the past using drones, but there's just so many restrictions and so many niches and all this other minutia that I feel like I can't take that risk sometimes. So I have to forego, so I have to forego using a drone to capture those images and just use my feet and my camera and my, just use my feet and my camera. Um, in the future, I mean, I'm going to continue looking into drone, into, into, into drone use and how I can use drones to maximize the impact of the images that I make at these borders all over the world. Um, but I feel like that's just a case, a case to case basis. If I happen to, to eventually visit a border where that's allowed and I, and I'm not restricted by that, then yes, I probably will invest in a drone and, and use that drone to capture images. Yeah. Okay. Well, thank you for sitting down with me at conch. This is great. Uh, I really enjoyed reading your column. Um, I look forward to, uh, reading more of your work in the future. All right. Thanks for sitting down with me, Peter. Appreciate it. That's it. Thank you guys for listening to the May edition of the Focal Point Podcast, Behind the Column. Yeah, and make sure to share wherever you listen to podcasts. We're on uh, Apple Podcasts, we're on Spotify, we're on SoundCloud. So share with your friends, uh, share with your family. We will see you next year uh, in September. Hope you guys all have a great summer.